0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا ما يهده الله فلا مدل له وما يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدي حدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وَإِنَّ شَرَّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْتَثَاتُهَا وَكُلَّ مُحْتَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٌ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٌ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِنَارٌ uh, so today is our fourth lesson on the short series uh, from the verse in Surah Nisa which mentions the ten rights in which Allah زوجل has mentioned the ten rights so in the first lesson we discussed uh, the first right, Wa'abudullah, Walla tushriku bihi shay'a. Worship Allah alone and do not associate any partners with Him. So, this right, this haq is the right of Allah. It is the greatest right. And from this right follows on all other rights. These are the rights which Allah Himself, He is the creator of mankind. He is the one who has placed these rights. After the right of Allah is the right of the parents. So we discussed that in the uh, second lesson. uh, The greatness of the right of the parents and particularly uh, the mother. In the third lesson, which is the previous lesson, we looked at the rights of the relatives, the near relatives or the blood ties. And in that lesson we established um, we, we, we quoted from Shaykh ibn Baaz looking at the different levels. Uh, first of all, it's your parents going upwards, then it's your children going downwards, then it's your siblings going across, and then it's their children who are your nieces and nephews, thereafter it is your uncles and aunties, and then their children which is your cousins. So these are six, six levels basically. And then anyone after that, It's on the basis of closeness, Uh, you know, you fulfill your right to them. And the Sheikh made an important point which is that this is all in accordance with ability, with ability. It doesn't mean that now you have to uh, go out of your way to fulfill the right of every single individual from all of your relatives, which could run into the dozens and dozens or hundreds even, but it's according to ability. So you start with the nearest first which obviously are your parents and your children and your siblings and so on and so forth in accordance to what you are able uh, of your time, of your wealth of your resources and so on and so forth Allah does not place a burden upon you more than that which you can bear So we discussed that and then we made a start looking at uh, the fourth rite which is the yatama which is the orphans So wabidhi uh, qurba which are the orphans and so in that lesson we discussed uh, the definition of what is a yatim the sheikh Rahimahullah mentioned it is the one uh, who uh, basically dies who loses his father or her father before reaching the age of puberty and uh, the Sheikh then went on to basically explain that in relation to the orphans, there can be two approaches One which is the approach of excess and wastage Where a person he basically spoils the orphan With gifts and wealth and amusements and so on And, and doesn't really look at the, at the tarbiyah uh, Secondly are those who neglect the rights of the orphans And pay no attention to them Do not fulfill their, fulfill their rights And the third are those who are the people of truth And they are the ones who combine uh, between a number of things. Uh, First of all, they spend upon the orphans and they honor the orphan. Secondly, they pay attention to giving them a good upbringing, a good tarbiyah. And a tarbiyah so that they become uh, servants of Allah, worshippers of Allah, and that they are upright uh, servants of Allah. They are pious, they are righteous, they abide. By the hudud of Allah, meaning they stick to the limits of Allah, whatever He has uh, obligated, whatever He has prohib- prohibited, then they nurture the orphans to, to, to they cultivate them to to become good worshippers of Allah, Subhanahu wa Taala. The Sheikh then also went on to discuss uh, that since in the modern age we have mostly organizations, charity organizations that look after or they take money from the people to look after orphans, then we have to go out of our way to make sure that the people we are giving our money to, that they are indeed fulfilling the the the, 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 the rights or, or the duties upon them to honor the orphan, first of all, by providing the needs, but also to, as we said, give them tarbiyah upon uh, the kitab and the sunnah and to nurture them upon this way to become righteous and it doesn't just become just just a kind of a worldly thing just to give them food and shelter whatever because this is this is not the not the only intent it, it is to raise them in the absence of their fathers obviously to become righteous and pious and to be people who will be who will benefit the ummah after this the sheikh went on to mention how the orphans themselves can be of two types First, those who are poor and um, they have no wealth. Uh, The father left them no wealth. And so here, the uh, relatives or whoever is in charge, then they obviously look after the orphan. And they have to spend upon the orphan in accordance with whatever wealth they are able to. This becomes obligatory upon them to the extent that they are able. And so this is the first type. And the second type is the orphan who has wealth, who's been left wealth, and so whoever is the guardian has to look after the wealth, Uh, up until the orphan reaches the age where he is able to take care of his own affairs. And so this is the point at which we stopped in the previous lessons. We're going to continue today's lesson from this point onwards. So the issue here then, the issue then, is that when there are orphans whose father dies and they have with them wealth, but they are unable to obviously look after this wealth. So there's a verse in the Qur'an, in Surah An-Nisa, uh, in which Allah mentions regarding these orphans. He says, yatama, anastum minhum ilayhim so it says uh, that you should test and examine the orphans. Test them. Until when they reach the age of marriage, when they reach the age of marriage, then if you perceive from them that they are able to make the, the right decisions and they you know, are, are able to do that, then return their wealth to them. Return their wealth to them. So here in this ayah, there are a number of conditions which have been mentioned in relation to the orphans and their wealth. The first condition, uh, the first condition, the Sheikh mentions is that we have to first of all examine and test the orphan, which means, and, and this, by the way, even though the ayah is in relation to orphans. It obviously refers also you can refer also to your own children, but here orphans are the ones that are being mentioned, right in the context of orphans, but it applies also to your own children. So the first condition is, as the sheikh mentions, uh, to test and to examine the orphan, is he or she fit and capable to take custody of the wealth or not? right? Are they able to uh, use the wealth and dispose of the wealth in a wise way, in a correct way. And so the people of knowledge, the Sheikh says, that uh, the way you examine and, and test the boys is that, you know, you, uh, like the boys have a way of examining and testing them, and the girls have a way of testing and examining them. And uh, they say, for example, um, you give them a small amount of wealth, and, you know, in relation to some specific issues, and you see, are they going to use that wealth in the right way in those issues? And are they going to understand how they are supposed to make use of this wealth or not? Right, in a way that, that boys are to use wealth. Well, for example, they might spend on their sisters, for example, they might, uh, wh- wh- whatever it might m- might be you're you you you're trying to encourage them to develop a sense of understanding of knowing how to use the wealth for the interests of the family, for the interests of the household, for the interests of, of obviously the, the, the son himself, and in general to be familiar and, 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 and to learn how wealth is, is to be used and how the rights of wealth are to be fulfilled. And this is what you are basically looking at. So the boy is to be examined and given responsibilities and given some wealth to, to use to help him develop this ability. Likewise the Sheikh says the, 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 the girls they are to be tested in relation to those things that relate to the women, the affairs of women, the things that, that women or girls do. And to see are they able to you know, utilize the wealth in the way that is specific to, to women to fulfill their rights. So this is the first condition mentioned in this ayah before the wealth is given to the orphan to examine them to test them to inculcate within them knowledge of money and how to use money and how to save money and how to use spend it wisely in the things which are needed and necessary and all all this kind of you know uh, knowledge and and understanding The second condi- condition mentioned in this verse is what is where's the what's the duration? The time period. And in the verse it mentions Hatta Ida nikah until they reach the age of marriage. Right? So this defines the time period in which they are to be tested, right? Because this is the point at which they become men and they become women. Right? So this is Islamically in our Sharia. And likewise, in the cultures of many, many nations in, in, in the past and even today, uh, that you, you become a man or a woman when you reach the age of puberty, when the signs of, of puberty. And so, um, yeah, so the, so the testing period is between uh, up until they reach that age, the age of puberty. The Sheikh says, "What is puberty, and are there, you know, what are what are the signs of puberty? There are certain signs by which we know that uh, a boy or a girl has reached uh, that age of uh, maturity or puberty." The Sheikh says there are some which are combined between the male and the female, but there are some which are specific for for a male. Uh, Or the signs which which are basically shared is first of all growth of the pubic hair, which is beneath the armpits and between between the legs, and likewise the mustache, for 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 the for the male. Then there is the wet dream, and then there is reaching the age of 15. Right. So any of these, right? If you don't have any of these, but you reach the age of 15, then this now is you've gone into puberty. And as for those which are specific to the to the to the girls, then it is Al-Hayd, which is menstruation. Which is menstruation. And so if she menstruates, she has now entered into womanhood, or what is supposed to be, or what is what is maturity. We have to make a distinction between puberty and maturity, mental maturity. They are not the same thing, right? So sometimes there can be some boys or girls, they reach mental maturity before they have any of the signs of puberty, right? And vice versa, there can be the signs of puberty in the boy or the girl, but they might not reach mental maturity till many, many years afterwards. Right, so this is a variation in boys and girls. When do they develop the signs of puberty? When do they actually become mentally mature? Which is uh, al bulugh. When do they reach mental maturity? These actually are different, they're two separate things, and they are different and they vary. Now, after this, the Sheikh goes on to say, When she menstruates, she's now reached. Uh, you know she's reached the age of maturity and so this normally happens from the age of nine onwards up until 15 if she hasn't menstruated till 15 then at the age of 15 she's now considered to be uh, have reached the age of, of uh, maturity and you know she, she, she is a woman. Now this is something as I said there is a natural variation in boys and girls as to when they reach the age of maturity and puberty. For that reason, because this is something that Allah has created in His creation, and every boy or girl reaches that maturity at different times, what this has led to is that... And also, there are things from the climate and the culture also that affect these things as well. Generally, in hotter climates, generally speaking, puberty can come come earlier. For that reason, we see that some of the scholars of the Muslims, they explain how in their travels, they have come across women who are grandmothers at the age of 20 or 21. Why? Because the earliest that they have known a girl to menstruate is at the age of nine. And that's why Aisha said that when a, when a, when a girl menstruates, then she has become a woman. And the earliest that it's known is known is at the age of nine years old. So basically, in that time, it wasn't it, it wasn't common but you would come across you know someone who got married at the age of 9 had a child 9 months afterwards that child that female then got married at the age of 9 and then had a child after 9 months after 9 or so months right so you can be at the age roughly age of 2021 20, and you could be a grandmother right so this is something known uh, not common, but it was known. Okay. So, the, po- the point that I'm making here, because I, I want to stay on this uh, point here that the Sheikh is mentioning. It's like a slight diversion. So the Sheikh says, فَإِذَا that balagat." So when she reaches menstruation, then she reaches the age of maturity. And as I said, historically speaking, all across the world, until fairly recent times, uh, the ages at which someone could marry were fairly low. Like, right? for example, um, you know, even in the states now, you know, there are certain states in the U.S. where basically, well, it's not so much marriage, but it's more to them what is the age of consent, right? The age of having uh, sexual relations. And you see there are some states where the where the age is, is fairly low. It's like seven, nine, it's you know, whatever it might be, because that's historically what they were. And that's because historically speaking, the ability of a child to to understand and make decisions, it was actually quite low because boys and girls matured quite quickly because of the social and economic situations right they were they had to work uh you know quite early in their lives, uh, and through that they experienced life and became wise quickly and and you know so so they were, they were able to make rational decisions at a much much younger age, and so the age of consent was was low right so now, now the point in all of this that i the reason why i 'm mentioning this is because in the next sentence the sheikh says. وَإِنْ زَوَجَتْ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ فَبِالْحَمْلِ Right, so pay attention now. فَإِذَا حَاضَتْ بَلَغَتْ That when the female menstruates, she has now reached bulugh, the age of maturity. وَإِنْ زَوَجَتْ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ But if she is married before that, right? Meaning before menstruating fa for for right then she reaches maturity by way of pregnancy right right so i want i want to stop on this sentence here and just explain something here because this is a shubha a misconception which is brought by some of the kufar and uh, you know the, the 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 haters of islam we call them islam haters uh, instead of islamophobia it 's not it 's not a good word because the phobia is like a irrational fear of something irrational fear of something right so you know arachnophobia you 're scared of spiders but there 's no reason for you to be s- scared of a tiny speck right so a phobia is like an irrational fear so when you say islamophobia it 's like a you know irrational fear of 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 you know it's not really a good word to use because the meaning that we're trying to get across is people who hate Islam, dislike Islam, they have enmity towards Islam, and they want to bring every kind of shubha, every kind of misconception uh, in order to paint the horriblest picture that they possibly can. So they go through the Quran and they look at many of the ahkam in the sharia and they try to find things and they try to you know put, put across shubha. One of them is actually this issue here that the sheikh has alluded to because what it means is that someone can be a a girl can be married before her menstruation and she enters maturity when she actually becomes pregnant right so so now this raises the, the, the issue now that we have to we have to basically answer right and there's no there isn't any anything to be ashamed of in our in our religion because this is the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of the rulings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is absolute wisdom, there is benefit for mankind. They are for all times and all places. Right? These ahkam of the sharia, they they do not expire. They they for, they are for all times and all places because they are based upon the fundamental facts and realities of human nature and of human biology. And of that's what they are basically based upon. So, so what, what I want to do is, because we alluded to, the, to this point, um, so I, I, guess, I guess the first point really is that let's go back, you know, a thousand years or however many years where it was customary for uh, until even in recent times for people to get married as soon as they reach the age of maturity right so it could be that the boy is 13 14 the girl is 910 this this is known in in civilizations and in cultures this this is known until even uh, I believe even today the Hindus the Hindus have this custom where basically, uh, the man has to be three times older than the than the girl he's getting married to. This is in their, this is in 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 in, in their in their customs and in their, you know, which means that if the guy is 30 years old, he's marrying a 10 year old. This happens amongst them, okay? But what, what I'm saying here is that let's go back a thousand years, and it can be the case that someone is you know 13, 14, and the girl is 10, 11. She hasn't menstruated yet, All right? She hasn't menstruated yet, but they get married, and it is for the parents to allow them to cohabit, co- co- uh, co-habit or not. Right. So this is now down to the parents when they decide: are they ready to co- uh, to, to live together or not? That's something for the parents to decide, you know, based upon uh, the culture and the habits of of whatever it might be. So. This is a scenario that can arise where if divorce takes place, because there might be a reason for divorce, then because there is no menstruation, what now then is the waiting period? Because there's no menstruation. Do you understand? Because we know that for divorce there has to be three menstrual cycles. So what do we do now? Okay? This is this is one scenario here, one scenario which is covered by the statement of Allah when he said, this is Surah, uh, Surah uh, At-Talaq, chapter 65, verse number 4. This is the ayah. In this ayah, Allah he says, min um, uh, Those who do, no longer expect Menstruation amongst your women, in their if you if you doubt, you know whether whether they're going to menstruate or not, then Hunna, uh, Then their waiting period is three months, right? So this now is by by time, not by menstrual cycle, right? It's an actual time, three months. Meaning those women who, for example, they might be reaching the menopause; they're not going to menstruate anymore. Right, so because they can't menstruate, we can't work out three menstrual cycles. So, and also the wisdom behind the waiting period is to make sure that they are not pregnant uh, and so they don't marry another man because then it might be confusing as to who is the real father, and then this leads to confusion in the genealogy, and then this leads to other implications to do with inheritance and things like that. Right, so this is the, uh, from the wisdoms. So, in this case, the woman waits for three months. Then it says, then in the next part, it says, Wallahi, uh, Lam And then those who have not yet menstruated. Yeah, then those who have not yet uh, menstruated. So, this is where these people. From the kuffar, and the, you know they, they take they say, "Oh look, look at this verse, it says those who have not yet menstruated that means those who have not yet menstruated can actually be be married, okay, so the ruling in this verse is yes, for those as well, then basically they can also they, they would also have to wait for three months because they haven't yet actually menstruated yet, okay, so you get this particular scenario there's a scenario here where this ruling applies to them. So now what these kuffar and these Islam haters have done is they look, look, see, in your religion you, you, know, you marry prepubescent uh, girls, you, you marry them off, okay? So there's a number, I'm going to read from you just some commentary, uh, you can find this on the noblequran.com in relation to this verse, but I'm going to just read through this so that you have an understanding of the, of the wisdom behind this uh, and that there's, no, there's nothing in our religion to be, to be ashamed about because it is, it is a, a guidance for mankind uh, in all situations, in all times, for all scenarios. And so the commentary is as follows. This verse relates to divorce and addresses numerous types of women in a divorce situation. They include women who have reached or passed the menopause. They no longer menstruate. Okay? The women who have never menstruated at all due to the inability to do so, right? There is a percentage of women who suffer from this condition called, it's called uh, amenorrhea, uh, the pronunciation, amenorrhea. Amenorrhea, that's what it's called. And what this means is, that there's two types of this, is that they don't menstruate. It can either be primary amenorrhea which means that you've reached the age of like you know 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 but you're not men- menstruating, right? If you don't menstruate you are now said to have this condition primary amenorrhea, you can't menstruate. So there's women in that category and they may not menstruate like they might continue not to menstruate till the 20, 25 and that could be due to many different reasons. They have a, uh, they, their weight is very they they, they they don't weigh much they don't have the right nutrition there's there could be many reasons why they're not menstruating uh, and then this is this is primary amenorrhea then there's also secondary amenorrhea this is where a woman has actually menstruated but at some point the menstruation stops but it's well before the menopause right when women stop menstruating when they reach 40 45 plus okay so this is now a second category that would come under this ayah; it would come under this verse, right? Well, what he says, lam yahidun," those who have not yet menstruated, and then a third category is those girls who have been married off by their fathers, and that could be due to a beneficial interest, right? A beneficial interest islamically it is permitted for the father to marry his daughter even though she hasn't reached the age of maturity if there is a beneficial interest in doing so right and so this is so this is the third situation regarding this third situation it is when a father marries off his daughter while she is a minor below the age of mental and physical maturity due to some beneficial interest that would that would otherwise be lost this situation can be frequently found in the history of nations all across the world and many examples exist even amongst like royalty the rich people uh, kings you know kings and queens married off their daughters at a very young age because a particular person of royalty or good standing or good character well to do and of means was available but if they delayed marrying off their daughter, they would lose this potential husband to somebody else's daughter. Right? Do you understand? This is like in order to preserve your interests, you might want to give your daughter in marriage early. It doesn't mean that she goes and lives. No, it means that you give the 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 the, the, the girl in marriage so as to avoid losing a good husband. Right? So. The Muslim jurists point out that a girl should not be married off until she has reached bulugh, right? This is the general thing that you do not marry the daughter off until she's reached the age of maturity and has expressly given her permission. Right? This is the asl, the foundation. Unless there is some beneficial interest in her getting married, right, and that beneficial interest would be lost. Right? meaning that you would find a nice well-to-do husband and if you don't give your daughter in marriage at this point then there's you know you're going to lose out on uh, potential uh, benefit for for, for 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 the daughter so now this is what the, some of the scholars say but some of the scholars like sheikh ibn thaymin they say well okay even though this would be permitted to do the greatest Principle being applied is the principle of permission Right the perm- permission is uppermost. so for example if the father was to marry off his daughter while she is young due to a beneficial interest Then when the daughter reaches the age of maturity, she should now be given a choice if she wishes to continue with the marriage when she reaches maturity and is able to give her permission or deny her permission. Right? That's Sheikh Muthaimin. Right? That when a girl is married off by the father, and she's you know from the um, you know she's a sagira, not reached her puberty. When she reaches puberty, she now has to be asked, "Do you want to continue in this marriage? Do you give your permission or not?" And that's because the issue of permission, seeking the permission, is 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 greater than whatever beneficial interest the father initially saw in giving his daughter away in marriage, right? So um, now you can see here how the wisdom in all of these things uh, uh, you know in in that the father sometimes the father can see a beneficial interest and he's completely correct and right in giving his daughter away in marriage at that point in time because of the beneficial interest and also, as some of the scholars explain, when the girl reaches that age of uh, puberty or maturity, she has the right to exit from the, you know, from 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 the marriage. So, hence, the marriage would only be consummated if she has given her permission, and when the father has allowed co-habit, uh, cohabitation, right? After the marriage contract, the time of cohabitation would then be decided by the parents. Okay, so. The scenario is that we know that uh, girls can be married off by their parents in an exceptional circumstance where they see a beneficial interest. However, this does not mean that they start going, Ill- no, no. The cohabitation is decided by the parents. When do we allow them to actually live together? And that is not dependent upon menstruation right because as we said menstruation may not may not happen till the age of 15 or it may not even happen at all till you know for whatever reason right so therefore there are scenarios and situations in which a divorce or a separation might take place in which the ruling has to be, to be, to be given, where because there is no menstruation, then it's given a time period rather than three cycles, three menstrual cycles. In which case, it is three months, right? So, um, so after that, keeping in mind that menstruation may not take place until the age of 15 years or even later, it is possible for the husband and wife to engage in relations. Prior to her menstruation, if her guardian has allowed cohabitation, right? So, this is to do with the parents allowing and making the decision when do we allow them to live together and you know have, have relations. So, as we said before, like what, 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 what we're doing here is we, we are answering these uh, people, these Islam haters who don't have any understanding or appreciation, or they actually pretend to be ignorant of these fundamental facts of human biology and nature and of what civilizations and, and cultures and nations have known and acted upon for thousands of years, right? Uh, and, and you know they, they're trying to single out Islam in order to create this kind of a commotion. So it is possible for the husband and wife to engage in relations prior to the menstruation if the guardian has allowed cohabitation. However, if in this time the husband decides to divorce his wife, then this is a situation in which this ruling in this verse comes to play. A waiting period of three months is to verify that she has not become pregnant, such that when the divorce is complete, she is free to remarry without there being any possibility of confusion about the real father of any child she might bear. Okay, now as for the commencement of marital relations, then Muslim jurists state that the condition of physical readiness and absence of any harm is what is the the basic condition. right? The Muslim jurist, Imam al-Nabawi, he said, Malik al-Shafi'i and Abu Hanifa said that it is the ability to engage in intercourse or marital relations that defines the time when a father allows his daughter to cohabit with her husband. This varies from one person to another and does not have a specific age, and this is what is correct. Sharh Sahih Muslim, Volume 9, page 206. Thus, a father will decide when his daughter is ready to engage in relations and allow cohabitation. The Muslim jurist also makes clear that a marriage contract on its own does not allow marital relations. Pay attention here, right? The aqd of the nikah in itself is not what allows relations to take place, uh, but rather it is the principle based upon the prophetic tradition, right? Meaning that uh, there's no harm and there's no reciprocating harm. That's the Basic principle, right? There is no causing of harm or reciprocating harm. لا ضرر ولا dirar. So that, that hadith has been made the principle which allows sexual relations, not the actual marriage contract. Right? So pay attention to that. There is no causing of harm or reciprocating harm. The hadith لا ضرر ولا dirar. Hence, when there is physical readiness and absence of harm, then relations can take place and this would be evaluated and decided by the parents likewise the muslim jurists make clear that all impediments to harmful sexual activity must be absent before cohabitation is allowed with the shafi'i jurists so the shafi'iyah the shafi'is they hold that even if the husband requests cohabitation with the reassurance that he will not engage in marital relations, the parents are not to release their daughter even if the husband was known to be trustworthy, to be thiqa. Do you understand? Right? As for ages of physical and mental maturity, then they are not fixed and they vary from era to era and place to place. Prior to the 19th century, the age-based distinctions of child and youth and teen and adult. These never existed, right? So these things didn't exist before the 19th century. Um, And girls simply became women. Boys simply became men. At the age of puberty or mental maturity, these two might coincide, meaning puberty and mental maturity could happen at the same time, or they might be delayed from from one from the other, as we mentioned earlier on. Um, So, okay, so once that's clear... After that, so basically, this is left to the customs and the norms of the society in which people are living. Um, Okay, so that kind of basically covers all of that, really. There's some kind of scenarios given here. Um, You know, I I won't really go into all of them. Uh, So is, is all of that clear, right? So basically uh this is a ruling in the Sharia in relation to divorce and the women who may be divorced can fall into different categories there are those who obviously menstruate which is the normal situation so they're divorced so therefore here it's three monthly uh, sorry it's three menstrual cycles which is not exactly a month, right? It can be 28 days, whatever it might be, or less or more, right? So it's based on the cycle, three cycles. However, there are some women who come into the category of not having menstruation. This could be of a number of categories. It's menopausal coming to the menopause or reach the menopause and long beyond the menopause, number one. Number two, it can be those married off young, who got married young, I have not yet had a menstrual period. And number three, it can be those who have passed like the age of sixteen and beyond and they've not menstruated. This could be a medical condition. Or it could be those who had menstruation and then at some point they stopped menstruating again due to a medical reason. So they no longer menstruate and there are a percentage of women, it can be like a few percent, I don't know, it's said to be a couple of percent that women suffer from these conditions, then how do you deal with that situation when it comes to the issue of divorce? Right? What do you go by? So the ruling in all these situations is basically that you take the actual time period now of three actual months for the, for the Iddah uh, period. Okay, so anyhow, I just wanted to cover that just so that we are able to answer this shubha if a if a disbeliever comes along and says oh look in this verse it says such and such right it means that no, we are able to explain this so we have we have no shyness we're not going to step on the back foot and uh, and apologize no we're going to we're going to uh, say it with confidence that this is our sharia it is the most perfect wise sharia which is based upon the fundamental facts of human nature and all of this is in the context of marriage as determined by the parents who decide when their daughter is allowed to cohabit with the husband and this comes back back down to what is a cultural norm or a custom and you know in all nations and civilizations they have their own cultures and habits as to when so we're not going to apologize uh, for this and this this is our sharia and we we are proud that this is the most perfect uh, guidance and in any case in any case, first of all, in your societies, don't 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 you have single single mothers, so like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, on welfare or whatever, working with the prams or the babies, and you say this is all, this is just your freedom, of choice, and this is you know, this is their rights and whatever. They must, you know, they must. So clearly, not all, you know, some of them don't reach puberty till the age of fifteen, so they 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 are, they are sexually active, right? This happens in your societies. Right, and not only that, you have the UN and the WHO giving like the, the the sexual guidance now to all nations, right? Where they're basically encouraging kids from the age of four to be introduced to uh, sexual activity and you know, all these like filthy, you know, things where they where they're trying to draw them into becoming sexually active at the age of the age of four, and they actually have this. Um, publication that they put out many, many years back uh, in which these guidelines and they have all these charts where they say from the age of six months and from the age of, you know, uh, one year and then four years like what activities should you introduce to these children and then they mention things, I won't mention the the things, whatever, but they want to make them active from the age of four, right? But all all of this, see, see, all of this now here is from the is from a completely different angle from what has come in the sharia right in the sharia it is marriage and the rights of people and keeping people chaste and you know it's it's like within a certain context here for these people it is from the angle of destroying society and making children see what as, as you've just seen from, from these ayat and what we're discussing, right? Have you noticed how in this verse, test the orphans up until they reach the age of maturity? What does that mean? Right? It means teach them and examine them and train them to become responsible and mentally competent, right? So that when they reach the age of marriage, they are able to handle their wealth. So, this, this implies a number of things, right? That when you when you get married, it means that you should already be in a position where you are mentally mature. You can handle commercial, you know, uh, affairs. You can handle monetary affairs, and so that also means that you are mature enough to have marital relations and to have children. Right? Do you understand? Like all of these are basically connected together. Right? However, what these people are trying to do by introduce children to early sexualization when they have no idea, they've got no mental maturity. right? There's no mental maturity. What this does is it, you, you, are, you, are, you are basically just creating children who are going to be... Uh, their behavior is going to be based upon impulse. right? It's just feeling and lust and desire that, that's not... Reined in by way of any type of mental intellectual capacity right so when you push this on children this actually destroys that child and makes him become or her become dysfunctional and unable to have meaningful relationships later on in life and that's what they want to do because they're trying to destroy the the, the family you know that the father and the mother uh, and, and the rights that exist through the family, because you know they, they hate the family because the, the, it gets in the way of their economic and social goals, which are basically all based upon Marxism, socialism, communism, collectivism, which all of it is to do with turning people into slaves and taking their property away from them. And the way you do that is to destroy the, the family unit, right? So all all of these are uh, agendas that they have. Which which are there for economic and social goals. So 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 I guess what, what, what we are saying is well, what why do you have an issue when, you know, the UN and the WHO and in your nations this is the basic culture and this is the idea that is that is being promoted, right? And uh, so we're not going to step back and apologise. This is our Sharia. It is the revelation from from Allah, the Creator, the Lord of the worlds. In it is is wisdom. And justice and mercy, and it accounts for every possible scenario and situation that mankind can be in. It doesn't erase the cultures and norms of people; it accommodates them. Uh, meaning that this law is applicable to all times and all ages and all eras and in all places of the earth. So, this law here to do with marriage—that meaning it's up to the parents to decide the issue of marriage. This apply this this wouldn't. This wouldn't, um, you know, um, wouldn't affect and destroy a society and its culture. Like, for example, if you went to the Amazon jungle and found some tribes there and said, you know what, sorry, but you're going to have to implement the, 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 you know, the legal code of, of the Britain or whatever it might be, and sorry, you can't your, marry your children after the age of 21 any longer. Well, that, that would ruin their like you know the 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 way they live because they might marry their, their, their children off at the age of 14, 15, 16, whatever. That's just their culture. That's that's what they've been used to living in that place in that environment. That's what, right? And if Islam was to, if they were to accept Islam and become Muslim, that would not change. It would not change at all because. The rulings of Islam are built, as we said, upon the fundamental facts and realities of human nature and human biology. So they, they can continue marrying when they marry, and all the laws would would, would apply because that it's because the, this is this is the law from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and so the, so it wouldn't conflict and clash with any culture or norm of any civilization or or, or you know anything like that. So anyway, I wanted to cover that because obviously this this, this point is raised when the Sheikh said, right? Which means that when she menstruates, this is when a girl becomes uh, mentally mature, bulug, puberty. And if she's married before that, then it is by way of pregnancy. Right? So this would be like the I guess the, the answer to all of that. So, then the Sheikh goes on to say that, um, yeah. So for the female, it's actually menstruation that determines whether she has uh, reached puberty or not, and that's even if she doesn't have like all the other signs, like you know the pubic hair and things like that. Uh, it, it's the menstruation that counts as bulugh for her. Anyway, anyway, this was the second condition, right? So in the verse that we're looking at. Test and examine the orphans until they reach the age of uh, marriage. Then if you perceive that they are kind of mentally all there and able to conduct their affairs, then give their wealth to them. So the third condition that was mentioned was اِنَاسُ الرُّشْد which is that you anticipate or that you perceive from them, you've seen enough from them that they are kind of, they have rushd, right? They have, they have this right guidance and, you know, after imtihan and ikhtibar, uh, which, is that, which is husn al-tasarruf, meaning that they are able to conduct their affairs, they are, they are level-headed and they know how to use uh, the wealth and spend the wealth. And so all of these affairs uh, with, with this aql, you know, uh, with, with intellect, uh, this is a vital condition and the sheikh says if this condition of ar-rushd is not fulfilled then the wealth is not to be given to the yatim to the orphan even if he reaches the age of 70 he becomes 70 if he reaches the age of 70 and he is not able to handle his affairs mentally right you still cannot give his wealth to them, the wealth to him even if it takes him 70 years to become you know uh uh, to to have like this uh, ability to to you know know how to protect and preserve and use the wealth properly, right? So, um, he shouldn't be left upon that condition. He remains under the guardianship of somebody else, even if at that, that age, if he doesn't know how to you know use wealth. Okay. So now, relating to this, Sheikh says, uh, goes on to mention the next uh, issue which is okay so now now we're sticking to the issue of the wealth the sheikh goes on to discuss about how the people who are in charge of this wealth there are rulings to do with them as well so in the next there's a couple of issues first of all uh in the quran there is guidance to the one who looks after the wealth and yakbaru. Right? So, the one who is in charge of the wealth of the orphan, he is commanded do not eat the wealth or consume the wealth without right and in excess, out of the, you know, like your, your fear that they might reach the age where you have to give the wealth back. Right? So this now is to do with the people who are in charge of the wealth of the orphan. The Sheikh says that these people, this, this verse is a prohibition that people use the opportunity knowing that the orphan is not in a position to know and understand what's happening with his wealth. So what you do is you use it as a means to to, to, to consume his wealth and to eat from his wealth and to play about with the wealth. That that basically destroys and diminishes the wealth. And you do that quickly thinking that, oh, you know, he's going to reach the age of maturity soon and I'm going to have the, to give the wealth to him so I might as well use as much as I can and then afterwards make all of these excuses you know, because as the Sheikh says, there are some people who are basically not scrupulous. Uh, they are put to trial by eating and consuming the wealth of the orphan. This can happen in families. For example, you have a, a child or children whose father dies and so it's the uncle or the aunties or the relatives they take the, the wealth that the father left behind and then they basically use it for their own benefit and squander it and, you know, whatever, you know, quickly before they know the child is going to reach the age of 15 or 18 or whatever it might be, because they know they have to give the assets or the, the properties or the, the wealth back to the, to the children. So they are, they are unscrupulous, they are dishonest, and they eat the wealth of the orphan knowing that they, you know, before before they have to give it back. And then when basically it comes to the time to um, give the wealth back, then they basically, you know, uh, start saying, well, you know, we, we bought such and such for you, and it expired, and it got wasted, and we spent so much upon you, and we did this, and so we did that, whatever. And they make excuses to explain away where all the wealth went. And, you know, this is... This is um, this is not good. Anyway, that's the first point. The second point in connection to this also, the wealth of the orphan, is that Allah Zawajal, he said, وَمَن كَانَ, uh, ومن كان غَنِيًّا فليستعفف. وَمَن كَانَ فَقِيرًا بالمعروف. Okay, so now this is guidance for the one who's looking after the wealth. If you are rich and you have plenty, Fal, fal meaning, let him keep away from the wealth of the orphan. And if you are poor, then you can take from the wealth of the orphan in accordance with what is Ma'Ruf. Right? So, what is this referring to? This is referring to the awliya, those people who are put in charge of the orphan's wealth. They are of two types, right? The first type is a type who is rich and wealthy and allah has given them great means and uh, so they are commanded to keep away from the wealth of the orphan and you know they have enough wealth uh, to to look after themselves and um, they, so, so therefore they don't need to take from the wealth of the orphan but if they were to employ somebody to look after the wealth of the orphan the properties and whatever else because let's give a situation let's give a scenario doesn't often the father dies he's left two three properties and a huge amount in wealth right those properties have got to be looked after you can't just leave the property because there's there's repairs there's uh, you know because the things go wrong things you know they could be on rent for example the, the money needs collecting things so someone has got to look after all of that right now if the wealthy relatives are able to do all that and they are wealthy, then they shouldn't really take from the estate of the orphan. They should just stick to their own wealth and because Allah has given them plenty. But if they were to employ somebody, (coughs) right, to look after all of these properties and the wealth because they don't have the time themselves, then in that case, it would be permissible to take something from the wealth of the orphan to pay to that person for that purpose it would be permissible to do so right anyhow this is the first type c- category that they are wealthy and you know so they are commanded to keep away from the wealth of the orphan the second type is the faqir the one who himself is poor doesn't have the means and he a woman kana faqiran falyakul bil ma'ruf the one who is a fakir, then let him eat uh, or consume in accordance with what is ma'ruf right with what is known and customary so here what the what the scholars say there's some views amongst the scholars they say well okay what is ma'roof here does it refer to like what what is his salary what is his basic salary and how much does he need in order to fulfill the basic needs of his house whichever of the two is less that's what he should be paid, right? So explain, let me explain what that means. So let's say the person who's looking after the wealth of the orphan, he's a poor person, he works, you know, in a week he gets maybe, you know, 700 pounds or something, right? But in terms of his actual living expenses, he only needs about 500, okay? So for looking after the wealth of the orphan, what should he be paid? It should be the 500 because it's the lower of the two. Conversely, if he was working and he was paid 600 but his living expenses was was 800 then he should still only be paid the lowest of the two which is the 600 that's the view of some scholars, right? But the Sheikh says, Sheikh Ubaid says actually what is correct is that there's no defined limit as to what he should be paid basically he just takes what he needs in accordance with what is ma'roof, ma'roof. whatever is customary and whatever is acceptable and whatever is the acceptable standard of living whatever that's what he should be taken from the wealth of the orphan right so all of this these are this is the third condition now right so first of all we he said we said test the orphan second we said that this period of testing is up until the age of marriage which is basically puberty or bulugh the third is condition is when we know that the orphan has reached a stage of being capable and fit Intellectually, you know, in terms of the uh, aql and, and reason in handling his or own affairs and knowing how to use money and to, you know, uh, de- deal with money. And there were some issues to do with that, to do with the, the wali and so on and so forth. The fourth, uh, the fourth condition before you give the wealth is al-ishhad, al-ishhad, which is basically bringing someone to witness. So at the point when you give the wealth of the orphan back to him, then you have to uh, bring uh, witnesses uh, as we see uh, فَإِذَا إِلَيْهِمْ أَمْوَالَهُمْ فاش, uh, فَأَشْهِدُوا عليهم. So when you give the wealth back to, the, to, to them, then bring witnesses over them. So what this means is when the time comes for a person, the wali, the guardian to give the wealth back, so the previous three conditions have to be fulfilled, and then he brings the, 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 the boy or the girl or the, or the, or the siblings, or whoever it might be, brings them all together. And basically he says something like, You know, Ya Bani, Ya Ibni Ya bani. um or, you know, my, my, my son, or my daughter, or my, you know, Ya Abna'i, uh, may Allah bless you. This is your wealth, which I've preserved for you up until now. And now you are the ones who are responsible over it. And this is your wealth. May Allah bless you in it. And then the witnesses who are present should should be there to witness that the wealth has now been transferred and given over to those those people. Right, so all of this that, that we've discussed is to do with the right of the orphan, right? There's the right of the orphan, which is to do with wealth. And there's the right of the orphan, which is to do with the tarbiyah that we said before of raising them upon uh, Tawheed and Sunnah and being pious and being righteous and so on and so forth, and um, also uh, training them to be competent and fit in kind of monetary affairs and knowing how to deal with, with monetary affairs. We covered all of that, and these are the four conditions up until the wealth is returned to the orphan. And as we discuss all of these things, as you can see, the Sharia, the, the Deen of Islam is a beautiful religion. Uh, the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is a just, you know, it is built upon adal and haq, upon truth and justice, and giving everyone his or her due right in every category of person, whether it is the parents, whether it is the neighbors in the certain order, uh, whether it is the. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the orphan as we are discussing here and there are other categories to come as well all of this shows the, the, the perfect wisdom and justice in the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now the shaykh goes on to say there's also one other thing that we should mention which is that transgressing in the wealth of the orphan is is prohibited because Allah Zawajal said atul yatama وَلَا تَتَبَدَّلُ الْخَبِيثَ بِالْطَيِّبِ وَلَا تأكل أَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَىٰ أَمْوَالِكُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ حُوبًا كَبِيرًا So Allah Zuhjul, he warned, he said, give the orph- orphans their wealth and do not exchange what is, what is uh, طَيِّب with what is خَبِيث what is good with what is vile and do not consume the wealth, do not add their wealth to your wealth meaning consuming it in falsehood indeed that is a great sin it is a great sin first of all Allah Zawajal, he called this action khabith right that if you take the wealth of the orphan and you add it to your wealth you have just made you have just basically made this into that which is khabith right this now becomes khabith becomes vile and meaning that you have transgressed the limits and, um, uh, you know, so this is the first thing. And secondly, Allah said, That this is a great sin. It is a great crime. And obviously, this is a threat to the person who does that. We see in another verse uh, Indeed, those who eat the wealth of the orphan. Out of oppression, dhulman. indeed, they are only eating fire into their bellies, and soon shall they burn in the fire. Right? So, first of all, in this ayah, indeed, those who eat the wealth of the orphan out of oppression, dhulman, this means that it is permissible for the poor person to take from the wealth of the orphan, as we said earlier on, right? Because obviously, if he's looking after the wealth of the orphan, then and it's 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 costing him and time and effort whatever, then it's permissible for him to take from that. So that's not zulm, right? So the poor person, this is not zulm. Here, it's speaking about those who consume the wealth of the orphan, oppressive. I mean, out of transgression, and they go beyond the limits, right? And this could even include a poor person. Who is allowed to take the wealth, but then he takes more than what he is due? This now becomes zulm, right? So he comes under this under this ayah. So, um, so he, he so he called it zulman. And um, secondly, the meaning here is that this person is consuming fire into his belly, and this this uh, fire will fill his belly and reach his you know throat, and that will be punishment for him. And And likewise, they will also burn in the fire. And likewise, the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that the Sheikh mentions at the end, we also see that he said, اجْتَنِبُوا al Mubiqat, Beware of the seven destructive sins. And from them, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, وَأَكْلُوا yatim," Right, to consume the wealth of the orphan. Uh, meaning in falsehood. Right. So this brings us to the end of the discussion of the uh, of the orphan. Inshallah, we can probably suffice with that for today. In the next lesson, uh, the Shaykh goes on to mention all the remaining uh, categories. So inshallah, perhaps we'll we'll finish off our discussion of this hadith in the next or uh, this particular uh, ayah in the next lesson. Inshallah, Taala. Uh, but for today, we can conclude conclude there for today. Uh, with a discussion of the orphans um, and the rulings pertaining to orphans. So yes, we'll we'll conclude on that note with that uh inshallah ta'ala and Okay, this is a question to do with the prayer. If one is traveling and reaches the masjid as the third uraqah of Isha is beginning, so can you basically, can you join um, and join the prayer and finish with them? Meaning, can you join with the intent of shortening? That which I know Allah knows best, is that if you join the, the, the imam, the imam is praying for, and you should follow what the imam is doing and just complete uh, the prayer and do the four. You know, Allah knows best. Is the issue... Is the issue of Aisha's marriage, radiallahu anha, a way Allah tests the believers and non-believers uh if they'll if they leave or not accept Islam uh in the case of the disbelievers uh because of this doubt. Well this never was this this wasn't a doubt up until recently. I mean why didn't the pagan Arabs object to this marriage with Aisha if it was so if it wasn't acceptable? No no one objected to this, right? Up until the modern era. Because this is something known, as we said, in all nations and civilizations. Because, you know, what is a man? What is a woman? When do you become a man? When do you become a woman? This always has always been related to the issue of puberty, uh, which generally has in the past coincided with mental maturity. Do you understand? Right. So when, 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 because of the way life was, and. Uh, before the modern era, when you reach puberty, by and large, you had mental maturity. Right? It's only in the modern era where we basically see that you know, people reach puberty, but they don't become mentally mature until like way past 18, 19, 20, and even beyond, they're not mentally mature. Right? And that's because of upbringing, the, the general social economic conditions, and basically the, the kind of type of life and whatever. You know, so so this 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 shubha was never really brought up by any of the people of disbelief up until recent times. So we can't really say that this was a trial or test for the people of disbelief to see if they leave or accept Islam. No, because this this was never an issue. It's not not anything to be made out of this issue. The reason why it's been made an issue is because in the modern era, you have these. Lifestyle philosophies which have appeared in the 20th century these these perversions to do with marriage and sexual relations, and you have all of these um, uh, First of all you have these Satanists and worshippers of Iblis uh, and these people part of what they have to do to uh, win the assistance of the jinn they have to do violent evil things right and they you know, the, the, these are things that are not good to mention, but they do violent, evil things, which involve acts of a of a, of a sexual nature, and this involves women and children. And you know, this is part and parcel of the, these people at the at the highest level who are allies with Iblis. These are the rituals that they have to do, right? So we have that. This, we have this thing here. Then we also have the the philosophy and the lifestyle philosophy and liberalism and you know, breaking down all the barriers to 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 sex and whatever, and so you saw in the in the middle of the 20th century, uh, these people, uh, Jean Paul Paul Sartre, Alfred Kinsey, and all these these are depraved, uh, evil, filthy, vile perverts, right? Who encouraged and supported the idea of of you know, uh, children, right, relations with children, right? So they turned this into like a, a sexual liberation philosophy and it became something very, very big uh, in the 60s, 70s, right? And so, and, and they, they, they came with this idea of pedophilia, right? So they are the, the perverts and the, 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 you know, are the ones who are basically promoting, who promoted this as a lifestyle philosophy and um, it became like a quite a big movement in the 60s, 70s, 80s. They even had organizations, you know, the Pedophile uh, Information Network or into something like that, PIE used to be called, right? Even and in France, it was quite big. It was quite a big movement in France. Even in the UK, it was quite a big thing until even politicians, like it was considered to be acceptable and, and normal to pursue this type of thing, right? There wasn't like an uproar about it as, as there is now. So, because these people appeared with these lifestyle philosophies, right, and you know they wanted to exploit children for this purpose because of a of a pedophilic interest, meaning people who, as a, as an orientation, are interested in, um, you know, uh, boys or girls before the age of puberty, right. They, this is a modern thing, right. It's got nothing to do with what has always been known, historically speaking, because of the reasons that we mentioned earlier on, that historically speaking, the age of puberty was when you became a man or a woman, and of marriageable age, that was perfectly normal. So you, you can't take these modern developments and use them now to basically evaluate what's happened historically. Otherwise, you have to now start accusing the kings and queens of pretty much every, you know, like in every culture, every civilization, even in uh, the UK, you have King Richard III married Isabella at the age of six. Then you have another king who came afterwards, married another Isabella at the age of 11 or 12. You know, and you start saying, well, the kings of England, they were pedophiles and whatever. That's, that, that's, this is like academic dishonesty. You can't do that. You can't take the the modern... Current, you know, uh, what what you consider to be morally immoral, use that now to evaluate past uh, cultures and habits, and you can't do that. This is this is academic dishonesty. You can't do that. Um, you know, so so coming back to the question, you know, no, this this is not one of those things. I mean, it's become a test and a trial, obviously now, but um, we don't say that. Because this, this never became an issue until, until recently, and none of the people of disbelief historically, no, we, we, we don't see them using this as an actual argument against the prophethood of Muhammad. This was, this was unknown. If it had been a big issue, then we would have heard and read about it, and we, would have, been a big, we have nothing of the sort. Which means that there was no issue with that, it was perfectly acceptable. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the answer to that question in brief, inshallah. The sifat of, of? 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 What, sorry, what's the last bit? The characteristic of being mature. What being mature. The, what is the characteristic of? What the, the signs the or the. Signs, yeah, the sign. From uh, that, that I mentioned earlier on, The you mean the signs, the physical signs of uh, pubic hair? Is that what you mean? No. Not puberty. Yeah. Oh, the signs of maturity is basically when you are able, when you uh, have a comprehension of affairs right so child is able to comprehend uh, the affairs they know how to use money responsibly they understand their duties so they for example know that you know they have obligations towards the parents of, of good behavior and respect and that basically um, any siblings who are older than them they basically give them respect you know like they basically have an understanding general understanding of these types of issues and they know how to conduct themselves right um, and, um, uh, but, but this is in relation to, to actually wealth and how to uh, dispose of wealth how to use wealth responsibly that's what the context of this is that when they reach maturity in that respect then you're able to give the wealth back to them uh, but then obviously outside of that issue of wealth then understanding can vary from child to child and in uh, subject matter to subject matter do you understand right so here this is specifically to do with uh, res- being responsible in knowing how to deal with 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 wealth and uh, how to look after it preserve it use it responsibly uh, but in a more general sense obviously it's uh, how do you know a good child has good understanding well they are familiar with the affairs of the family they are, f- are familiar with you know what needs to be done like in the household errands like they are observant and, and, and are aware and they take the initiative to um, go and, and do do these things, you know. Uh, so it's like a type of awareness of, you know, how uh, the household is functioning, uh, what are the interests of the household, how to save money, how not to squander money, what are the errands and duties. Like when they have a general awareness of all of this and they realize their... The the, the 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 you know the the duties upon them and they uh, do them it, that's what that's what is meant in a more general sense that they are mature and uh, you know they're mentally mature they have an understanding of these issues yeah I Uh, yes, yes. That if 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 it's someone who is a fakir, who is poor, who's whatever, then that wealth can be used. To look, yes, to look after the orphans, yet to raise the orphans. Yes, yeah, that's part and parcel of, of all of that. Inshallah, we'll, we'll stop there and we'll continue. We'll conclude the rest of this, inshallah, in the next lesson. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ala Nabina Muhammad wa ala Alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.